never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to Neff Inspiration, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a fantastic day because I can talk about one of my favorite topics. I call it the five-minute gardener. Um, my guest calls it small changes, big impact. And he has actually created a whole system uh, that allows you to harness those small, tiny steps, but consistent steps into the right direction every day to really re-energize your life and puts you in the best, best way for forward to reach your new version 2.0. So Clint Callahan, thank you so much for coming to my show and, and speaking to me about my, my favorite topic. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I, I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. Tell me. Cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go. When, when did you realize that really maybe your usual rat race thinking, your usual chaos um, us being more reactive to our environment rather than proactive. When did that all fall apart? Because that's typically what it does in our lives, isn't it? So where all my stuff began was in, what was it, 2005. Uh, so 2003, my mom was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder. And so what happened was that took her from a healthy 47-year-old woman to a 90-year-old in the space of about a year. And so because of that, she was in chronic pain and she ended up committing suicide. And that threw my life completely into, as you would, you know, think, <laughs> disarray, grief, loss, depression, anxiety, frustration. And especially with me being a licensed social worker, I was working for locked psychiatric hospitals at the time with people that were chronically suicidal. I was with her and she told me exactly what she was going to do. I told all of her doctors exactly what they told me. and they chose not to do anything about it. And so it was really, it was it basically the whole system I've been working and pledging my life to broke down. And so that made me break down because what was I doing, right? That I'm working for a system that couldn't even help my mom. And I couldn't even help my mom, of course, because we always personalize that kind of stuff. And so that's where my descent began into burnout, depression, anxiety, all these different things, because these were things I had before from being bullied as a kid in school. But now that and I went through therapy and got that healed, and then it turned it right back on again. And so, so that lasted about four years where I dropped out of doing therapy. I became a real estate agent, life insurance agent, and did these different things. And then 2008 happened, <sighs> and that decimated all the stuff that I did. And so we ended up, so my wife and I were been, mid-2009, my wife and I, were we had our first child. Uh, we lost everything, and I had to go move in with my in-laws for about two years. And so we went and lived with her parents for two years with our newborn son. And I was now working for a health insurance company as a therapist. And if you think being working for being a therapist is easy, it's much easier being on the outside of the insurance company than being on the inside of the insurance company. Because the Talk about nickel and diming. On the inside, it's a hundred times worse in the American health system. Uh, not so just in America; then, it is it oh, is yeah. virtually oh, everywhere. Then, yeah. Then that exacerbated my burnout even more, made me feel even more disconnected. Because now, of course, having a newborn, I wasn't really sleeping. 
I wasn't really eating. I was burned out at work. So I started going through the four main phases of burnout. And that's where I began this process. And so what people think burnout is, is that it's this thing that happens because of too much work, but it's actually not. What burnout is, is it's a system, it's a systemic collapse of the various different areas of your life. The first thing was I went through is I went through social withdrawal. I started to become disconnecting from my friends. I became, I wanted to be alone more. I found myself dodging social events, craving my breaks, being wanting to be alone, not wanting to do that way. And that was the first sign. And I didn't see it because I was exhausted. So I didn't see that. And then I began to have a decline in grooming. Didn't quite shower every day. Didn't decide to shave every day. You know, just wore clothes maybe two, three times a week. Just all my self-care started declining. So that was the second phase I got stuck in. And then the third one was my relationships started to fall apart. I began distancing myself from my wife, from her parents, from my really close friends. And I, because I didn't want to burden them with the fact that I was feeling so burned out. And then the last thing that I started to do is I began to disengage from work to the point where they wanted to basically fire me mm. because I wasn't doing my job because I was so burned out. I couldn't actually function at work. And so it was at that moment that I had to make a choice, right? Wow. Am I going to let my life completely fall apart and all everything that I worked for? Or am I going to make a change? And so I went back to these to my roots, which was really funny because I grew up uh, Lutheran, Christian, all that kind of stuff. But in graduate school and undergraduate, I learned about Buddhism. I studied Buddhism for about six years. So I went back to meditation again because I gotten away from it. I went back to that. So my process that I still do today that I started, which helped to pull begin to pull me out, was I meditated for three minutes in the morning and then I journaled for two to set my intentions for the day. And then I meditated during lunch to check those intentions to see, am I still on track with what I'm trying to get from today instead of just getting through today? And then at night, I did the same thing. I evaluated what was happening during my day. How was I being present? How was I disconnecting? How was I not disconnecting? What was I doing to be here? Because that's ultimately what I found is if you're not present, if you're not actively participating in life, it's more than happy to pass you by. Mm. Wow. What I find amazing a lot is... To there, right? A little bit to unpack? No, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, what scares me most is that uh, I was nodding in realization. Yes, tick, tick, tick. I went through... Uh, very similar stresses, very and very profound stresses for fuck's sake. Um, yeah. Very brutal life. Um, and when you when you talked about the, the stages of burnout, I felt myself mm -hmm. saying, "Yeah, okay." In recent weeks mm -hmm. and months, tick, mm -hmm. tick, tick. No, the last tick. No, I still love my job, um, yeah. but uh, otherwise, I think. Many of us listening and, and viewing you will actually probably say, yeah, okay, that sounds a bit like me. Yeah. What amazes me is that, that five minutes times three a day yeah. made such a difference for you. I mean, three yeah. minutes, I, I play devil's advocate here, uh, three yeah. minutes of, of meditation. What is that supposed yeah. to do? <laughs> I've had a lot of people ask me that, right? Like, really? 
three minutes of meditation and two minutes of journaling come up. That's a giant load. And I know it's a giant load. You're just trying to sell me your book. You're just trying to get me to join your program. I know exactly what you're Yes, but also no. Both. It's true. But it really comes down to when's the last time you sat for three minutes and just tried to be, right? Because exactly. when's the last time you've done that? I mean, my one of my favorite things that my, my clients love is when I say, you know, we're great at being human doings. We're really bad at being human beings. We are not good at being in the moment, at being present, at checking in with ourselves, at Excellent. walking through this life and going, here I am. And that's the thing. And so when I started that practice of doing three minutes a day with journaling mixed in with meditation, I didn't think it was going to do anything for me because I thought, because the only reason I had three minutes was because I had a newborn. I didn't have 20 minutes, 30 minutes to sit and be peaceful because I would get, I was lucky to get that five minutes three times a day. I was lucky. And it happened to be that like most things, I kind of fell into it where it turned out that it actually did work because, wow, I don't need 30 minutes to find enlightenment. I don't need to spend, you know, decades to delve into all the stuff. It really only takes three minutes of sitting and being peaceful and trying to figure out what do I want from now? What am I trying to get out, get from today? Because that's what I noticed for myself. I was just getting through, through the day. I wasn't getting anything out of it. I was just trying to get to the next day and not want to die, to not want to, to not want to be exhausted, to not want to feel like I was a failure, to not want to all the things, right, that you're feeling in those moments. And so what I found is by taking that breath and stopping and giving myself just three minutes to just be and two minutes to then say, okay, what is this telling me? What is the story that my brain is telling me? Because when it comes right down to it, what we tell ourselves is reality. So if I wake up every day and I tell myself I'm a giant piece of crap, guess how I'm going to feel every day? That I'm a giant piece of crap. That's how I'm going to feel because I'm going to reinforce that by then believing it and then acting accordingly. And that's what that taught me is that I can take a step back. I can take a breath. I can recognize that it's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to not always have the answer. It's okay to recognize when other people are suffering, but not take it on myself. Because as a therapist and as a life coach, hmm. that is my biggest weakness. That's been my growing edge for my entire life, <laughs> is I want to take everybody's pain and hold it for them. But it, it was the thing that one of my favorite quotes from one of my professors in school is, you have a choice in life. She was my crisis intervention teacher. And she said, you have a choice as a therapist and as a human being. You can either be the lightning rod or you can be the one holding on to the lightning rod. And you know you're the one holding on to the lightning rod if you smell Kentucky Fried Chicken because that's you cooking because you are <laughs> cooking yourself into extra tasty crispy. And so you don't want to do that. You want to be the lightning rod where the, where everybody's feelings, thoughts, emotions, all those things, you recognize them for what they are. It's theirs. It's not yours. Because the moment you hold on to it, you cook from the inside out. And at first, you don't notice it because it's deep inside. But then eventually, it manifests into burnout. 
Oh, so true. So true. And I recognize that certainly in the past. Um, I was a pain physician and I suffered exactly from the same knight in shining armor syndrome, wanting to be mm -hmm. there for everyone and burning out massively in, in the process. Interestingly enough, though, I can also recognize myself in my relationship with my wife. Um, we have been married 26, 27 years and things are not the best um, because we, we're we're trying to renegotiate uh, who are we. We try to find mm -hmm. our new us. And um, here you are. I feel a bit burned out with regards to some of the things I'm experiencing with my wife. What the hell do I do about that? <laughs> but that's, I think that's... <laughs> I can actually give you an answer for that. And actually, that's Shoot away. That I'm listening. That's in the book that I have too, but I'll tell you exactly what it is. I'll give you a sneak peek. So this is what, so my wife, my wife's a therapist. So we're both mental health therapists. We've been to couples counseling several different times throughout the course of our marriage. So if anybody's listening, if two mental health therapists need to go to couples counseling, <laughs> sorry, Everybody that's ever been in a relationship needs to go to couples counseling. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Okay. We're both trained to do this for a living and mm. we need outside help too. So there you go. There's the, fir there's the first little tidbit. But what it comes down to is one of the things that we found is the first thing that breaks down in any relationship is the ability to talk to each other, is real, true, authentic, honest communication. And so what they found is that the most important thing in a relationship is to do reflective listening with your partner. It's where you set aside time every day. My wife and I call ours the state of the union. We sit down and we spend about 15 minutes each night where we, and we ask ourselves three questions with regards to our relationship. What's working? What's not working? And what can we do together to fix what's not working? And we do it on a daily basis because it cleans it out before it builds up and mm. becomes the problem. Because most of the time when you have a fight with your significant other, it's not about the thing that you're fighting about that moment. It's mm. about the 15 things that you didn't talk about, that you didn't bring up, that you didn't mention. Mm. So because of that, it feels like now I have a whole arsenal of things to chuck at you, to teach you and to sh show you what I'm feeling and how bad I'm feeling in this moment. But if you do it every day and you've already had these singular discussions about one or two things or three things that happen throughout the course of your day, mm. it doesn't build up to an arsenal because you don't have time to let it get there. And reflective listening is a very simple process that feels like it's not. But really, it's just saying, what I hear you saying is, and then you repeat verbatim what they said. And then you ask him the simple question, is that what you meant? Because mm. that's the key to the whole thing. A lot of times, the stuff that comes out of my mouth, I have to stop and go, oh, crap, is, is that what I meant to say? Okay, I need to, I need to stop a second, and I need to check and see, is that what I meant? Because mm. what I said sounded to them like this, because this, they repeated it back to me. And it sounded like I was being accusatory, or I was being mean, or I was being degrading, or I was being denigrating, or I was doing all these mm. different things to them. Instead of, that's not what I meant. What I meant to say is, I was feeling this way. Mm. I didn't mean to make it sound like you made me feel this way, because that's often the issue that happens mm. in a relationship, is 
we say that you are the person that is causing me to feel this way. And I'm sorry, but nobody makes you feel anyway. You're making a choice in that moment to take what they said, and it, it comes down to this simple formula. Your thoughts plus your feelings equals your action or your reaction. And because it doesn't happen in a vacuum, usually on the other end of that equation is another human being. And then they have their thoughts and their feelings, which creates a reaction or an action. And around and around and around you go until you can see it and say, so why are we saying that to each other? So we do that because when it comes to human being and interaction, we're lucky if we get 50% of what the other person is saying because it's it's scientific, it's mathematical. We speak at 300 words a minute. Our brain operates at about three to 4,000 words a minute. So in the conversation that I'm having with my wife, my brain is already a mile down the road expecting what's going to happen before we even get there. It's presupposing it knows the answer before we get there. And that is the issue because we can't help it because our brain works faster than we speak. So our and we and here's the thing, most of the conversations we have with our loved one tends to be very similar. So our brain extrapolates the similarities and already creates the outcome. Mm. And if your brain has already created the outcome, guess how you respond? Mm. According to the outcome that your brain has created. And then magically, the outcome happens. That's kind of weird. How does that work? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> A darn self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Amazing you took it out more words. Works, right? <laughs> And I like what what you're saying by actually defusing this whole scenario by actually t uh, tackling one little, and it doesn't need to be little, to actually spend five minutes uh, with your partner and actually listening. Literally, listening means yeah. shut up. Um, yeah. And that's beautiful. Um, I think that is uh, that's where your system actually becomes so powerful. I was I was considering exactly that, and I, I love the five minute gardener, um, where where the principle is that you spend every day five minutes in your garden, never more, never less. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you you know after a week you see a difference in your garden. After yeah. after three weeks, your your family says, "Wow, the garden looks good." Um, and then after three months, probably bus tours come along and you'd watch your garden. Yay. Um, yeah. And it's that kind of thing. I was trying to do the same in my relationships, in many other things in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't actually expand that to listening. Mm -hmm. And I think, <laughs> and actually, when you think about it, that is actually the logical, the logical step forward. And maybe if we were to do that, if we were to do actually invest such uh, such time first in ourselves, because that's what you do yeah. in the morning, you set yourself up with three minutes um, to yeah. actually listen to yourself, which is the most yeah. important bit. Um, exactly. Then journaling, actually committing in writing. Um, yeah. And you can easily say there that the writing is even much slower than the talking. So therefore, you actually yeah. have to time. Um, Handwriting equally uh, is a very powerful thing because it uh, activates other parts of the brain. So again, right. what you're doing is a very systematic and actually a very scientific way how to deal with it. And when well, I said earlier, my clients, right? Yeah. My job is not to is not to do woo woo stuff. I will 
the stuff I say sounds kind of woo-woo, but it's not. It's all mm -hmm. based in science yeah. because really it comes back to the story is this is your brain right here. This is the feeling part of your brain. This is your logic part of your brain. Inside, in between here are these little tiny tentacles that connect the two. But the thing is, is when we have trauma, when we have really heightened emotion, it shuts the gate between logic and emotion. And the problem with that is, is when the gate is shut, then you're either only in your emotional brain or you're only in your logical brain. And the, so when you journal, you, you're, you're writing, you're focusing on the story. If you've ever tried to write down feelings, usually it's an entire page of curse words. It's impossible to write down feelings. It's usually just a bunch of curse words. <laughs> so it has to go through logic to begin to make sense. So that's why journaling is so powerful because scientifically it forces the feelings to become a bit more logical so you can make them make sense and structure them into something that you can read and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Most of the time, you know, that's why I tell most people, hey, if when you start journaling, if the only thing you can get out for the first minute or so is just a bunch of curse words, just write that the 15 times if you have to just get the juices going i don't care what you have to do but just start the process <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's crazy writing if, if if you're an author um sometimes you've got that writer's block and you think oh bloody hell and yeah. i remember when i actually started writing you know, myself the sobriety the first time um i there were days when i thought shall i write and i just started yeah. writing gibberish and suddenly yeah. I realized uh, that, oh, what am I writing? It be I became yeah. the, the passenger. So things came out of my fingers. And I, I was actually, was with interest, I was reading what was coming out. Oh, oh, that's cool. Ooh, like, ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm that, smarter than I thought I was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that you need sometimes that step of taking action and practicing yeah. that taking action thing it's often enough we are sort of analysis paralysis or we are we are just so full of adrenaline and cortisol that we don't fight or flight we actually freeze and it's that freezing that is so paralyzing it is literally yeah. there's what it is yeah and it makes sense if you there's a biological way to break out of the fight flight freeze or fold response and you can actually do it and it's through the most simple thing that we do all the time it's breathing very and nice. It comes back to box breathing. I love box breathing. No, you don't put a box on your head and breathe. That's not what you do. It's it's a very specific breathing technique where what it does is it tells your parasympathetic nervous system where fight or flight, the biological piece of fight or flight lives, that there is nothing physical that's going to get you. And it's a pretty simple process. It's you take in a breath for four seconds and you hold it for four seconds. Then you breathe out for four seconds and you hold empty for four seconds. And you do that four times. And mm. what that does is it tells your body, your biological fear response, stop. There is not a tiger or a bear or anything that's going to be murdering you in this moment. Because mm. the problem is when it comes to the wonderful world of human beings is our brain is still stuck in the Stone Age. It hasn't had an update for about 185 odd thousand years. And so our hardware and our software is grossly out of date. Mm. So our body is experiencing the world. And what we think is, oh, well, I got to take care of my mind first. And then my body will follow. And actually, mm. it's the opposite. Because 80% of what happens up here comes from the neck down. Mm. Comes from your body. 
So if you can change your breathing and change your heartbeat and change the way you're feeling, because it comes down to when you're, when you're, let's say you're in an office and you get that email from your boss, right? Hey, we need to talk. Just those words. And your brain automatically yeah. starts thinking about what that means. And so then your body starts to take over. This means there's a physical threat. This means I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my food. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to end up dead somewhere under a bridge. And it's like, wow, that escalated really quickly. Mm. But that's the thing is it starts in the body. That's why you get the sour gut. That's why you start to breathe really shallow. That's why your heart starts feeling like it's going to jump out of your chest or it starts mm. to cramp because it's been beating so fast so that it actually has muscle fatigue, mm. which that then you think you're having a heart attack. Mm. And so by box breathing, you're telling your body, stop the adrenaline, stop mm. the cortisol, stop the norepinephrine, stop all of these things. Mm. And this is what I teach people is the first thing you do is you box breathe. Then the next thing you do is you, surprise, surprise, you journal. You write down the story that your brain is telling you. Nice. Then the next thing you do is you go and you do about a minute, two minutes of exercise, quick push-ups, quick sit-ups, some power walking, something to get your blood going somewhere else instead of staying in your heart, lungs, brain, and stomach. Because that's where adrenaline pools when you're not moving mm. around. Mm. And the problem is when adrenaline pools in your brain, it does this amazing thing. It speeds up your brain by a factor of 10, which then makes you feel like the world is moving in slow motion and you're stuck in hell now for 10 times the amount of time. Then after you do that, after you breathe, after you write, after you, after you then go do a bit of exercise, go back and read what you just wrote. If you still agree with it, no, then do it again. Do it again. <laughs> Because that means you're not ready. If you rank it on a scale of one to 10 and you say it's five or above, mm. do it again. Breathe, <laughs> write, exercise. Because that means like you it. haven't calmed down enough yet. Because like once it. you do that, your body then, mm. you're, you're activating the vagal nerve response, which is to soothe and calm the rest of your body. And then you're back to, you can think normal again. Uh. You're not continuously worried about what's going to happen. You're not hyper aware of every sound, every sight, every smell every breeze that comes across you're not hyper aware anymore because you've told your physical body hey we're good this is just a mental thing just don't believe it it's it's one of those things it's beautiful how you described it and i absolutely second every single uh, uh statement you've made i've recently become a breath coach myself uh i love the box breathing um, and I, it was interesting whilst I was training to become a breath coach, um, I was obviously doing a lot of, a lot of practice. Um, and then uh, so many things in recent days and weeks, it has fallen a bit by the wayside, um, because life mm -hmm. overtakes you and you think, yeah. actually, when was the last time I did even some, you know, I, well, I do it every day. I do every day a little bit mm -hmm. when typically to deal with waves of anxiety, I can mm -hmm. switch them off very powerfully, uh, very quickly yeah. but when did i do proactive uh work and i mm -hmm. have to pull my own socks up here and I have to say actually yeah you didn't did you um yeah. so where is my own self-care and why exactly. why is it that even we as people who have been trained in do these things why why do even we procrastinate or not follow through have mm -hmm. you figured that out 
I would love to say yes, I've totally figured it out and I've solved it. But no, it's it comes back to where it always comes. It comes back to where it always comes from, and that's priorities. Mm, true. As people who want to heal others, we often have that little genetic twerk in there that says, "Put yourself last. Other people need you, so you need to <laughs> yeah. make sure that they're first. We'll get to you when there's time. I promise." We'll get to you when there's time. And that's the problem is mm. you have to make yourself mm. the priority. And mm. it's hard because when we make ourselves a priority, I know where I go to. I immediately go to, I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I feel like I'm not living up to my potential mm. or my mm-hmm. expectations or whatever the story is in my brain that says, you know, that five minutes that you took for yourself, what could you have done for those other people? And it's like, well, it comes back to the thing that I learned very early on in my career is I was not being the lightning rod. I was mm. holding on to the lightning rod. I was cooking myself because mm. obviously I'm not important. Mm. And that's part of the problem. Mm. But it always comes back to the, the same saying, right? Is a dry well gives no water. So the only way that you can be effective as a healer, as a coach, as someone who wants to show up for somebody else's you have to take time for mm. you. And the hard thing is, is reminding yourself of that. Mm. So I actually have a program in my calendar where it goes off three times a day. Nice. And the first thing it says is time to meditate because you have to take care of you. I nice. put that in there to remind me that it's time for me to do this to take care of me because it always comes back to the most simple thing in the world. If you don't take care of you, mm. who will? No one. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. And I think that is whilst we were now whilst I was t- bringing up the example of uh, us as as care providers of people who are, are being there for others. The same applies for a, a mum who is spreading herself far too thin for mm-hmm. a man um, or uh, without even now now agendas, uh, a person mm-hmm. who just mm-hmm. tries to chuckle so many bloody roles at the same time and mm-hmm. being frustrated because you never achieve enough in each of these roles and, and mm-hmm. everyone wants more of you, at least that's your perception. Um, mm-hmm. And it is so easy to to get lost in that thinking so your your words are incredibly powerful um and your system certainly is so the breathing part is so important and what i want to add here is your meditation when i meditate i actually also breathe in that so automatically Mm -hmm. when i go into this kind of okay time for me mode i start diaphragmatic breathing i.e Mm-hmm. I try to make sure that it, with every breath in, actually my yeah. tummy comes out. And people, if you if you have never actually heard about these kind of concepts, what I want you to do is maybe lie yourself down um, and rest your hand on your one hand on your chest, one hand on your tummy, and just have a feel how your your body actually moves. The other thing you can do is basically put a book on there if you actually want to just have your hands down, book on your tummy. And every time you take a deep breath in, that book needs to go up. And Mm -hmm. then if you take a breath out, the book comes down. If you start learning that kind of breathing, what it does, it really works on the parasympathetic nervous system, the kind of system that switches off the fight and flight. 
So guys, these are very simple steps that you can do right now to actually start calming things down. And if you now focus on your breathing, you're focusing on the here and now. That's really what matters. So uh, that's beautiful. So here you go. You can combine these things and become even more time efficient if you're subscribing to that. (laughs) But you're also taking action. You're taking action and you're no longer the victim. So there's so many things that fit actually into your system um, where you're moving from victim to fighter to, uh, to, to well, victim, survivor, thriver, ultimately. Yeah. Wow. But you never, you never just, that happens, well, the disaster often culminates in one thing. And then you think, oh, God. And in your case, it was a disaster that was building up over the better part of of a decade, really, isn't it? Um, So how long did it take you to implement those changes that you are now practicing? Yeah. So when I started, the first thing I had a problem with was, of course, failure. Hmm. Because... I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could be consistent or I wasn't consistent enough. I could have been more consistent. The story I was telling myself was, well, you're not doing enough, obviously, because you need to do more for yourself now. So now it's like the pendulum swung the other way. Before it was take care of everybody. Then it was swing to, okay, now you'll only take care of yourself. (laughs) And as as pendulums tend to do, right? They tend to go one way or the other. And so what I learned in the first, so basically, so about the first 100 days was the hardest for me to stay consistent, to stay motivated, to feel like it was going to be any kind of change. It ended up taking me about a year, year and a half doing this religiously. But I also had to tweak it to where I built in failure into my daily goals. I had to build in failure. Right? Basically, mm-hmm. it's like what they tell you when you're dieting. Build in three cheat days a month. So that's what I did. I started building in these cheat days where I'm like, okay, I get three days a month for me. That's where I'm at now. Before it was like about five days where I can have five days where I can just say, you know, I want to do this today. Mm. I don't feel like it. And it's okay because it's part of my plan. Because if you, what I've found is that if you build failure into your goal, you're more likely to succeed and not even need the failure parts, the cheat days in your goal, because you know, they're there. So then you get to choose, am I going to spend this today or not? which then changes the way that you're doing this, because then it's something you're choosing to do instead of something that happens to you. And that, again, changes the victim mindset, just like you spoke about earlier, is we get trapped in the victim mindset so easy because it's easier to blame external forces for what we are or are not doing than it is to accept that we are making a choice in that moment Mm. to to not prioritize ourselves, to not do the thing that we know is good for us. And that's what I love about that. So the first 100 days was the hardest. And then the next 100 days, it got easier. And then after, a, so that was about six months in. And around six months, I really, I had to shift my focus as I was going through. So the first month, I focused on doing stuff for me, getting me to be a priority. And that's hard to do when you have a newborn because they don't care about you because they're a newborn. That's their job. And so first I had to do was figure out how to take time for me and make that a priority. And then, but in order to do that, I had to reconnect with my wife. I had to tell her what was going on with me. I had to tell her the scary things that were going on inside of my head, the things that I didn't want to burden her with because she was already exhausted working and taking care of her infant and me working and all the things, right? And 
and the stress and the fear of not having a place to live and living with her parents and all those things. So I had to first focus on me and her. I had to build the foundation between us again, because if that wasn't solid, none of this would work. Because mm. without yeah. the two of us, it wouldn't work. Yeah. No, I need to ask you a question, though, there. Um, mm -hmm. Where is many men will then say or feel deep inside mm -hmm. that they actually need to be the rock, the foundation, the strength mm -hmm. for the partnership. And yet, mm -hmm. when they are opening themselves up with those feelings, are they not supposed mm -hmm. to be, are they not turning weak? Mm -hmm. Well, but that's the thing, though. If you really think about when you think about a foundation, when you think about concrete, right? What's concrete made out of? multiple different things. It's made out of a bunch of little pebbles. It's made out of a special slurry mix. It's made out of water and it's made out of time to set it hard. So concrete's not just one thing. It's multiple things coming together that mm. creates this stronger thing. And if you really want to make it strong, you chuck some rebar in there and nice. you do some rebar. And then now you got extra strong concrete. And that's the stuff, what we think of as men of a certain age i'm 47 so i was definitely trained in that way of no no you can't have feelings like i used to joke with my wife when we were when we were first dating look i got six feelings and she's like well what are they happy hungry sleepy horny and angry and she's like that's five and most of those weren't feeling states oh well, sad but only when someone dies that's the only only when somebody dies do i get to be sad and she's like well but three of those are just body states. I'm like, they feel real to me, right? Uh, but it's those kind of things that when you realize you're blunting yourself from experiencing the range of emotions <laughs> that are out there. And it's like going from someone that is seeing things in black and white to now seeing things in color. When you finally begin to open up and explore the fact that feelings are just a part of life. They don't make you weak. They don't make you strong. What makes you weak or makes you strong is how you choose to use or not use that. Mm. Do you choose to take the help that's offered or do you choose to not take the help that's offered? Because that's the thing. The help that's given, that's freely given, how is that not a source of strength that you're able to say, yeah, I need help in this moment? And having that person help to lift you up and work you through, work with you through this process, you know, because does one person win a war? No. It's the group effort of multitudes of people coming together, focusing on a specific objective. And that's the way you need to look at your life. Because let's face it, nobody gets out of life alive. We don't. All you can do is decide who do you want to go into battle with? Who do you trust that's going to be with you, that's got your back, that is going to be there? And for me, it's my wife every time because she knows me better than I know me, whether I, but I won't tell her that. So she can't listen to this podcast episode because I don't want to get a big, I don't, don't want her to get a big head. <laughs> mm. uh, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It is. Uh, but equally, it's beautiful to be so honest and to actually realize I love the, the analogy of the, of the concrete. Um, mm -hmm. There are times when you need to be a bit slushy and need to be a bit, a uh, bit water moving like water um, and yes. not being there, the, the complete yeah. fixed part. I like that. And I think there's something to be said about that once you actually start that in a relationship that then that fosters a true authenticity. Um, mm -hmm. It's sometimes hard 
when someone really becomes, as you said, this pendulum swings to the self-care mm-hmm. way across there. It's only me. I don't care mm-hmm. what you think. Your emotions mm-hmm. are not my issue. Um, mm-hmm. I can express myself to be authentic. What you feel about it, that's your problem. Yeah. Uh, how do you prevent mm, yeah. that? I mean, where do you go from there? Yeah. Well, it's just like anything else, right? It comes back to a very, very simple thing that we rarely do, which is everything in moderation. <laughs> it's all moderation. It's when when you're when if you're let's say you're going through this and you're married, and I go and I tell my wife that very thing, and then she gets that look on her face like, Oh, you think so, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Because you got this to do and this to do and this to do and this to do. So if you need some time, I'll give you some time, but it's going to be on my terms. Because <laughs> you need to do these other things too. And it's those kind of processes that it that's why being connected and being authentic and having that good communication and being able to be open and have your partner understand that this is the things you're saying right now may not be about them at all. And so they so helping them to see that they that there's no offense meant, but that this is what you're feeling and it's recognizing it, but still recognizing that sometimes what we say is going to be offensive. It may be our truth, but that's the key word. It's our truth. It's not the truth. There is no the truth. Mm-hmm. There's no capital T truth. Because mm-hmm. even in with the scientific method where they have where they have people double check each other's work 900 million times to prove that this is a real thing, still is not a capital T truth. They still look at it as a small <laughs> T truth because real truth is always in the eye of the beholder. And that's the problem. Our perception, again, makes our reality. So that what we think of as true may or may not be even close to what's happening in somebody else's reality. And Mm. that's the thing that I love most about being a therapist and being a life coach is getting someone to shift their perception by one or 2% to go, oh, wow, this is a totally different place I'm at. Where where was this? Well, it was like two degrees over. That's all it was. It's it's not it wasn't a big change. It was just a little shift. Well, why didn't I see this before? Because you weren't ready. Because you didn't take the time. You didn't take the space. Hmm. You didn't have the wisdom of life that led you to this moment to say, "Oh, this is the way it is hmm. now." But that's the operative word too. This is the way it is now. Because tomorrow. It's going to be something different because all we are is the sum total of our experiences, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm. And that's the thing is recognizing that and seeing that the journey isn't over until you take your last breath. So embrace the ability and the desire to be curious about everything, to be curious about life, become Mm. a lifelong student, because that's the thing is I get as much out of my time being a coach and being a therapist and talking with them, it realigns my way of looking at the world. It changes how I view mm. things. And I've been privileged Then the 23 years I've done this, I've probably talked to about 5,000 different people from all from every gender, every race, every socioeconomic status, military service, every single kind of thing to a way that it lets me realize that, okay, the mm. only advice I can give you is be open-minded, mm. but not so open that your brains fall out. Man. 
<laughs> very nice. Very, very nice. Wow. 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 How long did it take you to write your book? Oh, well, that took me, I think it's been a work in progress for like my whole life. But to actually sit down, to actually yeah. sit down and do it, yeah. it took me about about six months to do it because I set aside specific time every yeah. day to work on yeah. it. I set yeah. aside. So I started with, I spent 15 minutes a day each day designing what I wanted each chapter to look like. And then after that, the writing took more than 15 minutes. Sorry, everybody. I couldn't stick to my 15-minute format for writing a book, but I, I tried. <laughs> it just didn't work. Uh, so then, then I spent about an hour to an hour and a half every day yeah. where I just got words on the page. Right. And then I went back and I refined it. And so I'd write a chapter and then I'd go back and refine the chapter. And yeah. then I'd move on and write another chapter and then go back and refine the chapter. And that's what I that's what I did. And a lot of it came from just the conversations I had with people in my therapy practice and as a life coach. Beautiful. Where it was like, oh, it was really interesting because these themes kept coming up again and again and again throughout the course of days and weeks and months. I'm like, well, these are the things that I'm seeing as necessary tools to help people beat burnout. And then I stopped, well, is it really burnout that I'm talking about? And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's my definition of what burnout is. You know, it's the fact that it is a collapse of multiple parts of your life yeah. instead of just this feeling about, oh, I'm working too much. Because that's what the main consensus about burnout is, is it only is because of work. But really, it's a trickle, it's it, it's a trickle through thing. Because you can, burnout can start in your relationship and then get into your work and get into your friends and get into that stuff. Or it can start with your friends and then get into your work and then get into your relationship and then get into your health and mental health. Or it can start every single different way. Mm. Burnout is insidious. It gets in there because what it really is, is I'm profoundly disconnected from me. Mm. That's what it always comes back to. I'm not just disconnected from my from my spouse, from my significant other, from my friends, from my work, from my mm. purpose, from my passion. No, I'm disconnected from me, from who I want to be, from what I want to be, from how I want to be, from what I would like to leave as some kind of legacy on this thing we call earth. Because mm. that's the thing. When you really look at it, 100 years, 80 years, if you're lucky, being healthy, that's not a lot of time. Like I read a study recently where it says 90 to 93%, at least in this American study, 90 to 93% of the time that you get with your kids is from zero to 18, which means by the time your kids leave home at 18, you've now spent 90% of all the time that you're going to spend with them for their life is gone. It's done. And I have two boys. They're right now 11 and 14. And so it's changed when I read that, it changed the way that I parented my kids. Instead of saying, I'm too tired, instead of saying, I don't have time for this, instead of saying, no, I'll do it later, I now say, hey, I've got 15 minutes here. Let's go do this. Hey, I've got a half hour there. Let's go do this. Hey, I've got an hour to go do this thing that you want to do. Let's make time to do that. Mm. Am I still as exhausted? Yeah. Mm. Am I still as burned out and fried by my day and by what I've gone through? Yes. But again, it comes back to priorities. And I decided that if this is if this is all the time I get with my kids, because then I need to be as present as I can be. And it was one of those things that I always felt something was missing when I had kids and I didn't quite know what it was. And this 
really sharpened the focus to go, oh, mm. even though I had them, how much time do I really spend with them? Well, let's see. I get done with work. I get home. We have dinner. Then they have to go do homework and they have to get ready for bed. And so maybe I see them for a grand total between evening and breakfast in the morning, about an hour a day, mm. Monday through Friday. And then the weekend is spent running them around for, for events, for sports, for grocery shopping, for all these different things. So maybe I get an actual once a week in a seven-day period, maybe I get about six hours of real time with them, mm. where it's face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, actual conversation with them. Mm. I'm like, that's not enough. Six hours over the course of an entire week, that's nothing. And so that's part of the process is as I've continued to grow and I've continued to learn and I've continued to understand how much relationship matter to me, I had to go back to that fundamental of mm. what's what's the most valuable thing that I have in my life? And it's my time and attention. Mm. Everything else is secondary. Mm. It's not the amount of money I spend on them. It's not the amount mm. of of praise that I give them. It's not the amount of, you know, whatever I do for them. It's about my time and attention. Mm. And that's the way it is with everybody, right? Because I've now been married for, it'll be, it's 20 years. It'll be 20 years, you know, 20 years next year. So 19 mm. years this year, been together for 22. How much time did my wife and I actually spend together? Well, we try to carve out time every evening to do that. Mm. But really in the course of a week, when we actually spend time looking at each other, talking together, talking together and engaging with each other, we maybe get to spend about when we're not sleeping, because that doesn't count, mm-hmm. <laughs> is it's about probably about maybe 15 hours a week. And that's out of an entire week. I had a seven days, right? And mm-hmm. when you really begin to break down the math, this is the in, this is my engineering father in me. Mm-hmm. Is when I break down the math of these things, I'm like, that is that's pitiful that's that that's horrible Isn't it? no that's it's it, that's not what i want you know and that's but that's is, so but if you're now if you're taking that and say wow okay only six mm-hmm. hours with your children only 15 hours with mm-hmm. your wife you haven't said mm-hmm. anything about sport uh you need to look mm-hmm. after your body you haven't said anything yep. about the meditation and about yep. your own mindfulness so let's add another mm-hmm. six hours there very soon yep. you're running yep. seriously out of time um yep. so uh how do you prioritize the big pillars in your life? Mm-hmm. How do you go yeah. about those things? Really, it comes back to where I I set the foundation strong, but I leave the pillar flexible. Is that that makes any sense? Mm. Because what I found is that when I'm too rigid with the way that I structure those specific key aspects of my life, they crack all the time. Because I don't have the ability to say, well, like what, about nine weeks ago, my son was playing soccer and it broke his arm right here, clean it, broke both of his bones right across there. And so I had to cancel everything and go and be with him at the hospital while he was all doped up on ketamine and all that stuff while they were resetting the bone and all these things. And that was, that was kind of fun. But, but it's those kind of things, right? Where you go through that and it's like, I had to, again, I had to make, I had to prioritize. I could have said, no, my wife will handle it. But no, that's that's not the kind of parent I want to be. So it has to be the foundation has to be set that this is important to me, but the time has to be flexible and expandable, knowing that that's the way it has to be. 
Mm -hmm. You know, there has to be some, like, I know that for me, I have to do my meditations. I have to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so I structure those and I add those into my day when I'm working Mm -hmm. so that that way it's part of my day as part of my work to keep me so I can keep being present and being there for people. So that's what I do for me. But when it comes to my kids, when it comes to my wife, when it comes to those things, I leave space for everything because if I don't leave space for it, then I'm too rigid. And if I'm too rigid, then when something goes wrong, it throws everything out of whack. And then that one pillar cracks and then it falls over and hits the next pillar and that Mm. one cracks and so on and so forth. It's like when I ran, when I used to run myself so ragged, when I got sick, when I got the flu or I got something, all the other pillars, it's like a flood came and washed it all away. <laughs> yep. You know? Oh, yes. The so, boom and bust. The boom yes. and bust cycle. That's beautiful, isn't exactly. it? <laughs> yeah. And so, so I learned, I mean, I haven't gotten the flu or been really sick since I started really focusing on the flexibility and yeah. allowing myself yeah. failure points and all these different things that mix together that creates this ability to say, this is the way I want things to be. I will do my best to make them that way. But I also understand that man makes plans and the gods laugh. So I just have to always build in 15, 20, 30 minutes where life is just going to be like, hey, guess what? The answer is no. Have fun. Bye. (laughs) Understood. Understood. Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's so beautiful because we have to adapt and change. I mean, we know that in order to survive, no two ways around it. The problem is that many of us are constantly only adapting and changing and not being not proactive, but completely Mm -hmm. reactive. And it's just you feel like a like a cork bobbing on the surface of the ocean in a storm. And it is and is what your system allows to do is take back ownership extreme ownership mm-hmm. to to a degree um but as with everything you start small and that is what i like that is really something that i can subscribe to uh, i can find five minutes in the morning i can mm-hmm. find five minutes at lunch and i can find five minutes in the evening so mm-hmm. there is no reason not to adapt such a system and it comes uh, back to right where the easiest way to do that is we have these wonderful devices called phones, right? <laughs> this right here, this yeah. is this is where what tells me what to do. This is my external brain. So if it's important to me, I stick it in my calendar. Yeah. The only thing that goes into my calendar is what's important to me. I like That's that. it. Other like stuff that. doesn't go in there. Holidays don't go in there unless I'm going on holiday. Other uh-huh, things uh-huh, don't uh-huh. exist in that calendar unless it's important to me. So if my if taking care of me is important to me, it's in there. But also, in each thing, I pad everything I do. I pad everything I do by about 10, 15 minutes to make sure that for those moments when it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, life doesn't care, that if you pad it, it makes it work. It allows you then to have the flexibility. That's where you build mm. the flexibility because my calendar is rigid yet flexible. Because mm. by doing that, I'm not breaking every time something goes wrong. That's and it's it. one of the most important things that I've learned is that Absolutely. I used to be super rigid when it come, came to my calendar. And then when something would go wrong, amazingly, I became really angry and hostile. I don't know why that would work. 
It's kind of weird mm. how that works. That's not. And what no. I learned is that then took then being angry is exhausting. It takes mm. away so much time and burns mm. so much energy mm. that it's not worth it. So mm. now I rarely get angry because I have so much flexibility at the end of my day. Mm. By the end of my day, sometimes I have like an hour of extra time because I built that in. And then with that extra time, you know what I do? Self-care. I watch a TV show. I go on a podcast. I have interesting conversations with people. I do mm. those things because it gives me that sense of purpose. The fact that mm. the message that I want to give to people is purpose is key. It doesn't matter what other people say your purpose is. It mm. only matters what you think your purpose is. Mm. And what I found my purpose is, is that I don't like seeing people in pain, but that doesn't mean I have to take on their pain. Mm. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Wow. Clint Callahan, uh, a man who has gone through a hell of a lot and who actually is now trying to make sense of it and is helping others to achieve it exactly that. And not only have you got your own program, uh, your own, on, on de developed your own program, you have mm -hmm. actually just released your book. Tell us about your yes. book, man. Sure. So my, my book, let's see, I, I got to remember what it's called because it's a big title. But it's called basically Beat Burnout in 15 Minutes a Day, How to Prioritize Yourself Without Losing yeah. What Matters Most. And Beautiful. in it, it just describes the four phases of burnout. Yeah. And it really talks about how early identification and by doing these actions will prevent long-lasting harm to your social, physical, mental, and financial well-being because burnout affects everything. You know, and there's that mm. moment when waiting for change is no longer an option. Mm. You have to become the change. Mm. And that's when that's what happened to me. And that's why it hit me, right? Why not make 1% improvement a day? And why 1%? Well, because 1% is 14 minutes and 40 seconds. So about 15 minutes. That's what 1% a day is. We're not talking about a massive amount. So it's not about radical changes, yeah. just small achievable steps. And that's what people don't understand. When most people think about change, they think it has to be like this massive thing that happens. But really, science, psychology, all these things have found that small changes, being the tortoise instead of the hare, gets you to be what you want to be. And for me, I focused on self-compassion, reconnecting with my family, mm. and confronting a lot of my own fears. And by doing this, it allowed me to confront a lot of these issues that I was going through. And that's what I know is I know that you can make this change because anybody can find 15 minutes a day to do this. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why I turned my entire course into a book, mm. because I want people to understand that it doesn't take massive amounts of stuff mm. to heal. It just takes the willingness to try. And here's the thing. You're not going to be perfect for the first hundred days. So get that out of your head right now. <laughs> Build in failure. Recognize there's going to be days where you're like, I don't want to do this. And guess what? Then don't. As long as you do it again tomorrow, take a day off. That's exactly. okay. Oh, brilliant. Clint, amazing. Um, guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video because the link to his uh, book is there. Clint, if people gel with you and people want to know more about you yourself, where can they find you? Sure. Well, you can find me, of course, on the wonderful social media. 
So you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at smallchangesbigimpact.thenumber4 and the letter U. Or you can also find me online at smallchangesbigimpact.net backslash info. And on that, you'll find all kinds of information about me. You can reach out. You can give me a call. I post videos online so people can get like two to three minutes of just thought-provoking stuff because I always got a bunch of stuff in my head that I need to get out. So I figure, why not scream into the void and see who's listening? That's brilliant. Guys, again, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and the podcast. Watch it on there, press the like and subscribe button and maybe think, hey, this was really good shit. Um, why, why don't you spread the word? Why don't you tell your friends, tell your family and say, hey, look, what do you think about that? And wouldn't that be a nice way how to start a conversation, maybe around a dinner table or maybe with a friend who needs to hear certain words? Um, so it is, uh, if we all can work together, I strongly believe that we can make this world a better place, but we have to start with us. And I think an investment of 1% of your time, I think that's pretty fair. <laughs> and I think uh, with compound interest, that 1% becomes so much more uh, over uh, over a period of, say, a month, three months. Yeah. Oh, look, it is wonderful. Clint, you're an amazing man. I'm very, very grateful that you came onto my show. I, you certainly I, you certainly allowed me to reflect on a lot of things in my own life. Um, and I certainly took on, um, you, you made me reevaluate how I live my life. And for that, I'm exceptionally grateful. And hopefully that the same applies to so many other listeners out there. Hopefully that we have a little snowball system happening here where your snowball becomes very soon an avalanche of people uh, spending uh, some very constructive time for themselves rather than uh, let's just see what the day brings, yes. which is brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. I am so grateful for being here. It was so much fun. I enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> If you want to talk for another six hours, let me know. I'm yeah. <laughs> exactly. Same here, brother. Same here. Same here. <laughs> Brilliant. You and you guys, I'm full of it. I've got lots of stuff left. <laughs> and you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. <laughs> I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.